0: Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay Podcast. On this podcast, rather than reviewing movies in terms of two thumbs up, two thumbs down, loved it or hated it, we look at them to discover what we can learn from them as screenwriters. We look at good movies and bad movies, movies that we loved and movies that we hated. This podcast is provided totally free and with no outside advertising. So if you enjoy it, please share with your friends and write us a review on iTunes. It really makes a difference. For a full transcript, please visit our website, writeyourscreenplay.com. This week, we're going to be talking about Get Out, written and directed by Jordan Peele. If you've listened to the last couple of podcasts, you know we've been talking a lot about the idea of how to use Hollywood genre movies to bring about change. We're not talking here about fighting against the popcorn elements that bring mass audiences, but instead by building those elements around socio political themes, themes that affect the expectations and the belief systems of our audiences, the kinds of themes that can actually change the world. You can see this principle at play from the very first scene of Get Out. It's a classic horror opening, an attractive young person alone in a scary place that's just a little too quiet, and a creepy score that warns us from the very first chord that things are going to get real ugly real fast. Except rather than using the traditional horror movie location, the kind of creepy place where we all feel a little scared, a secluded beach, a dark forest, a creaky old house, instead we're in a perfectly manicured upper class liberal suburban neighborhood. And what makes the scene terrifying, aside from the terrific score and the top-notch directing, mm. is the fact that the attractive young man we're watching is an African-American in a white neighborhood. Jordan Peele has spoken a lot about the conception of this scene. As a way to pull a mainstream American audience firsthand into the experience of an African-American man. To put them in the shoes of anyone who's ever been pulled over for driving while black, stopped and frisked, watched nervous eyes regarding them as a threat, or seen a young family cross the other side of the street as they approached. It captures the feeling that this place that feels so safe for so many people, for a young black man, can feel incredibly dangerous and unwelcoming. And then, as any good writer would do, Jordan Peele lets his character's very worst internal fears manifest externally in the universe. A white sports car starts following him. He turns and walks the opposite direction, trying to get away from trouble. And the next thing you know, he's being beaten by a white guy in a mast and stuffed into the trunk. The safe place that suddenly becomes dangerous is not a new idea. We've seen it in Jaws. We've seen it in Friday the 13th, Tucker and Dale versus Evil, and countless other horror movies of every possible genre. The Suburbs as an ironically terrifying location is also nothing new. We've seen it in movies ranging from Scream to The Stepford Wives. And the idea of the wrong guy in the wrong place isn't new. We've seen the reverse version of it in a million movies every time a white guy or gal finds himself or herself on the crime-ridden wrong side of the tracks, only to be instantly mugged, attacked, or harassed by people who look different from them. None of this is new, but the idea of taking the everyday anxieties of an African-American man about to meet his white girlfriend's potentially racist parents for the first time And blowing those fears up into a horror movie that looks on the outside like the character feels on the inside, that's new. And that's exciting. Horror movies are obviously about fear, but the best horror movies are not just about scaring the audience. They're about scaring yourself, about scaring your characters. They're about reaching into those unexplored corners of yourself left over from childhood traumas, bad life experiences, emotional and physical wounds, paranoias and nightmares that you know you should be over emotionally, but somehow just aren't. They're about taking the childlike fears, the nonsensical monsters under the bed we know we should dismiss, the fears just too bizarre, too unlikely to be real, and asking ourselves, what if they were? Horror movies are about allowing our worst nightmares to come to life on the page, and in that way, to come to peace, not with the reality in which should we depict those stories, but with the real life experiences, the metaphors that spawned them in the first place you can see that this is the journey of the main character, Chris, in Get Out. Chris is naturally a bit scared to meet his girlfriend, Rose's parent, for the first time. After all, meeting the perfect parents of your perfect girlfriend would make anyone a little nervous. Not to mention the fact that he's a struggling photographer while they're filthy rich. Not to mention the fact that he's got a secret little nicotine addiction that he feels a lot of shame about. And considering how unpleased his picture-perfect girlfriend is with his failure to quit smoking, it's only natural that he fears her parents would judge him even more strongly if they found out. And then, of course, there's the fact that they're white and he's black. Oh, and Rose hasn't quite mentioned that to her parents in advance of their arrival. Sure, Rose assures him that his parents aren't racist, sure, Rose promises that they're going to love him, sure, Rose insists that the worst thing he's going to have to endure is her father, Dean, telling him, I'd have voted for Obama three times, which Dean does pretty much immediately when Rose and Chris arrive. Every experience Chris has ever had as a black man in America tells him that this is a bad idea, but that's not what he wants to believe. He wants to believe that Rose is right, that he's the one being paranoid. As Jordan Peele has pointed out in interviews, the inception of Get Out actually came with the election of Barack Obama. It was a reaction to the hopeful but unlikely belief it created in so many people that maybe this racism thing was finally over. Chris wants to believe, as so many people did at that time, that race no longer matters, That people, at least wealthy white Obama voters, no longer judge a person by the color of their skin. That if a black man can now be president, maybe one can date a rich white woman and be accepted by her family. He wants to believe if Rose is not racist that maybe her parents aren't really either. That maybe the problem exists in him. That all these fears are just reverse racism, a false assumption that all white people must be racist. He wants to believe, as anyone who longs for a better world wants to believe, that maybe today the concept that the color of a person's skin could dictate who they can be, that this concept might suddenly vanish into the dark imagination from which it came, like the unlikely monster under the bed that it should be, like the absurd notion that it is, rather than remain the lurking demon that it has become defining the limits of so many people's lives. Chris puts his fears aside, just as so many people have had to put their fears aside, hoping for a better world, hoping that his relationship can be the exception. But still, there's that lurking fear. Maybe these nice people aren't really who they seem. Maybe everything isn't really okay. Maybe there's a hidden malice here just waiting to come out. Maybe even his girlfriend isn't who he believes her to be. Maybe all this hope is just a facade. Maybe there's something he doesn't know. Sounds like some pretty serious stuff. But what's brilliant about Jordan Peele is that he doesn't deal with it seriously. He deals with it playfully, exploring the serious notion of hate as the absurdity that it is in a big, silly, popcorn movie horror format. And in doing so, he harnesses its full power, not just for the African-American audience who already gets it, but also for the wider audience who would like to think that we understand, but probably don't. Although every paranoid fear that Chris could ever have will turn out to be true by the end of the movie. At the beginning, Jordan Peele doesn't give those thoughts to the serious character. He gives them to the most ridiculous one, Chris's best friend, comic relief and TSA agent extraordinaire Rod, a man whose paranoia and conspiracy theories get laughed off not only by the audience, but also by every black character in the movie. While we're laughing at Rod's ridiculous theories about what white people do, the main character, Chris, is doing everything he can to think like we do, to open his mind, to get over his suspicions, to believe in a better kind of world. Sure, Rose's parents, African-American gardener and housekeeper, seem to have been ripped right out of the zombie version of Gone with the Wind. But it's only natural for rich people to have servants, right? And would it really be better if they refused to hire black people for these jobs? Sure, Rose's parents, friends, attempts to connect with Rose's new black boyfriend are painfully awkward. But isn't it a little wrong to judge people for trying to be accepting? What Jordan Peele is creating in this sequence is not just horror, and it's not just social satire. It's a stripping down, not of the overt racism that we normally see depicted in movies, but of the subtle, unintentional racial charge that can permeate the behavior even of well-meaning people who truly consider themselves allies. And though these characters may represent an exaggerated version of this phenomena, it's pretty hard not to look at this sequence and wonder, at some point, have I done this to somebody? He's giving us a chance to see ourselves from Chris's point of view and to understand, right or wrong, how he feels in this situation. What it's like to feel like the only way he can fit in is to become a version of himself that he doesn't recognize, like the whitewashed young African-American man Chris tries to reach out to at the party, the one who later, in a flash of lucidity, will deliver the underlying warning that Chris still fears might linger under all this welcoming atmosphere. Get out. Jordan Peele is not saying that every white person is racist. Rather, he's looking at just how hard it is for people of all colors to simply find normal. In a world where so many people of all colors do have fears and paranoia about each other, he's showing us how our need to prove that we are colorblind hampers our ability to actually connect, our ability to have a real dialogue. And as things get darker, as a cleaned up version of a slave auction is held for ownership of Chris's body, And all of Rod's paranoid theories turn out to be true. Jordan Peele is showing us how all this stuff comes from the same place. A legacy of the slave auction that we're all still trying to escape. In a mirror of last year's far less successful Birth of a Nation, Jordan Peele transforms his sweet, hopeful main character into a killing machine taking out the horrible racists that surrounds him and he transforms you his audience from horrified witnesses to violence to a chorus of cheerleaders applauding every well-earned death and though the movie may not totally hang together though the allegory may not totally fall into place metaphorically Though the plot moves may be familiar and the hypnosis sequence, despite the symbolic genius of using the pristine teacup as a symbol of white control, may have no bearing on the reality of what hypnosis even is, the movie succeeds in dropping a mainstream audience into the point of view of that most poisonous stereotype, the violent black man, to see him not as a threat, but as an avenging angel. Just like any great writer, Jordan Peele takes his characters and potentially his own most terrifying fears and breathes life into them as if they were real. And though these fears may be unlikely, I don't have the numbers to prove it, but I am going to assume that most interracial couples make it through their first meeting with the parents without anyone being sold into slavery, hypnotized, or lobotomized. But in giving voice to the most extreme and unlikely fears of his main character— those haunting demons we know we should dismiss. What he discovers is the real place from which they flow, the legacy of slavery, a peculiar institution no more absurd than the horror of Get Out, whose legacy we are all still trying to escape. Get Out is not a perfect film, but it's a successful one, and it's not successful because it ignores conventions, but rather because it elevates them for its own purposes. It's successful because its main character's journey grows organically from the writer-director's inspiration. The script may have begun with Jordan Peele's reaction to the Obama election and the idea that racism was over, but it mined from there into his fears of what was lingering under the good news, passing those fears on to his characters and allowing those fears to form the structure of his film. He created a movie that explored a theme that mattered to him, the horror of racism, using form to carry the function of his message. This is what great writing is all about, whether it's horror or any other genre, not looking outside of yourself, but looking inside at the things that inspire you, the things that make you mad, your fears and your dreams, no matter how impossible, giving life to them on the page and seeing how far and how deep they can take you. I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. Again, we make this podcast available totally free and with no outside advertising. So if it was helpful for you, please do share it with your friends, subscribe to us on iTunes, and write us a review. It really does make a big difference. You can also get a complete transcript of this podcast on our website, writeyourscreenplay.com. And if you'd like to study with me in New York City, online, on one of our international retreats, or one-on-one as part of our ProTrack Mentorship Programme, You can learn more on our website. That's writeyourscreenplay.com.